Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Wonderful. So good to be with you this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as the lead pastor uh, on fellowship with my lovely wife, Ebony, and the incomparable Herrick and Heather Berga. If we haven't met, I would love to just, I don't know, introduce myself and say hi and hear a bit of your story, but stoked for this morning. Uh, we are in a series called Be Ready. And I think we've done probably a, a decent job of trying to kind of bring us all on the same page each week. We've gone through a lot of stuff throughout this series. And I was, I was kind of reviewing it this week as I was prepping this message. And I was like, man, there's, there's a lot of, I, I genuinely feel like spirit-led stuff for me in my life. And I would argue for us as a church that I'm like, I just, I don't want us to move on too quickly, guys. Like part of me wants to literally just start this series over again. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But the reason I say that is because I think sometimes, if you're anything like me, we can fly through life so quickly that we miss what God has for us in each moment. And I really feel like this is a moment in the life of our church that we're going to look back on and we're going to genuinely celebrate the faithfulness of God to speak to us and to lead us into what he has for us. And that's just his character. That's what he does with all of his children. We're not unique, although we are. We're a unique expression of the body of Christ here in this place in this time, absolutely. But man, the fatherly love of God is incredible for all of his children. And I think there's a, we're in a unique season, guys. We're in a very, very unique season. And I still have to say, brace yourself because I'm about to review the last five weeks before we get started, okay? So some of you were like, I know all this, we've been through this, but I wanna make sure that we're just back at this on the same page so that we can move forward and what I feel like God has for us, okay? This series, Be Ready. The subtitle, The Harvest is Plentiful. So we're, we really feel like God has, has been kind of leading us to, um, I don't know, a space of intentionality. Obviously we're Christians, we wanna live with intentionality at all times, but the last 18, 19 months has been crazy. It's been wild. Every single person has experienced profound suffering, traumatic suffering, I would argue, like across the entire world, okay? Yes, varying degrees of intensity, but every single person. And because of that, suffering has a way of tilling the soil of the human heart. And it has a way of sometimes pushing us further away from God, but also opening ourselves up. I need you. I need, I need the sovereign God of the universe to help me in my life because I'm clearly not in control. We like to think that we're in control, but then years like 2020 happen. And no matter how much money you have, no matter how much time you have, no matter how much influence you have, none of us could stop it. There's a reality that suffering has an effect on every human heart. So we're talking about, we feel like God is calling us to be ready in this season. And for what? That's what we talked about week one. We talked about be ready for what? We talked about the Joseph of Arimathea opportunities to care for the body of Christ, right? The needs from within, the, the very real suffering, the very real um, emotional unpacking that each person's gonna need, practical needs. I watched, I've watched you guys in your gospel communities radically love each other provisionally, 
practically, with practical needs, whether it's money or different things. Like you guys have rallied in beautiful ways. That's part of it. But it's also coming to grips with the emotional toil that 2020 and even, even up till now has taken on each of us. Because again, if we're gonna be disciples of Jesus who just like fly through life and brush all the dark brokenness under the rug, we're gonna miss out on God's kingdom here and now on the ways that he wants to heal our hearts here and now. We wanna be ready for that. So needs within, and also we talked about the needs outside of our community. People that we know and love, our friends, our neighbors, our fa- maybe our family members uh, that don't yet know the love of Jesus, like how do we love them in tangible, practical ways in both word and deed? We wanna be ready for those things, right? So that was week one, that was the what? Healing inside the church and harvest outside of the church is what we talked about. And then the second week in this series, we talked about being ready for who, right? And it was, it was, can you guys throw that slide up there? I think I included it. It's the area of ministry one. We spent some time talking about this. Hopefully you have it, but it's, it's this idea of <clears throat> your area of ministry, right? Your sphere of influence, the, the spaces and the callings that God's placed on your life. He's primarily called you to people, not a place, not a task. He's primarily called you to people. And we talked about how each of us have an area of ministry. We're already like sent ones where we live. So how do we be ready? Be ready for who, right? You guys don't have that slide, do you? You do. Okay, it's coming, guys. Either way, I can move forward. It's basically this idea of being ready to practically love and serve and care for the Christians in our world and the non-Christians in our world. It's a both and, all right? That was week two. Week three, be ready with what? We talked about being ready with something and that something was the gospel of Jesus. Herrick broke it down. He did a wonderful job of explaining how the gospel's not just our message, it's what motivates us. We've been recipients of great love and service and generosity and care from God himself. And then now we get to carry that to then, that's what, we, that's what God used to meet our greatest need, right? His goodness, his love, the good news of who he is, of what he's done and what that means for our lives. Okay, you guys are throwing it up now. Great. (laughs) We'll come back to this. You can take that down for now. Thank you. I feel like I lost the whole room. (laughs) It's okay. Thank you guys. I appreciate you finding it. Um, But yes, this idea of with what? With the gospel. That's what's ultimately going to meet the deepest needs of every human heart, whether they're a Christian or not. It's for both. All right. That was week three. Week four, if you remember, Brad Sarian, our friend and brother from Restored LA, came down to preach and he shared, I feel like it was a master class on practical evangelism. I think he used seven kind of, uh, seven kind of identifiers of, of what healthy evangelists do. Go back and listen, that's super helpful. Um, evangelist is basically just someone who, who brings the gospel to people, the good news of who God is, of what he's done and what that means for them and what that means for us. And then last week, we talked about this idea of, of, of deep soul rest and how we're not gonna be ready for the opportunities that we believe God's gonna bring our way, both in the church and outside the church, if we're exhausted. If we live at a breakneck pace instead of a sacred pace. And we really spent most of the time talking about this ancient, amazing practice of Sabbath, right? And how it's like, it's one of the 10 commandments. It's it's like, it's a big deal. And yes, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He, He fulfilled Uh, practicing the Sabbath, observing and keeping and remembering the Sabbath perfectly in my place for every time I don't. But that doesn't mean that I I, I ought not engage in the Sabbath in a way that is life-giving for my soul as an act of worship to God. We talked about how, 
yeah, man, if we overextend ourselves, if we don't, if we don't regularly give ourselves over, carve out time, a 24-hour period of time of resting in Jesus, we're, we're not going to have the spiritual battery power we need to face what's ahead of us. Okay, so that's a, that's a, a, a review for where we've been thus far in this series. Today, we're going to answer the question, we're talking about being ready, we're going to answer the question, with who? All right, this is important. This is a big week, okay? <clears throat> My daughter, Amelia, she just started softball. And for those of you parents that have already kind of got your kids involved in youth sports, you know how incredibly intense youth sports are nowadays. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, nine and 10-year-old girls are treated like they're varsity athletes. It's insane. Uh, but it's actually really, really cool. And it's funny because she had evaluations, which is like they, you know, they, all, they bring all the girls together and they kind of see where they're at so they can make and pick teams. The coaches can have a draft and they can pick teams. And it was fun to watch her be like excited. I'm so excited to, you know, see who's going to be on my team. And, and I was excited as her dad. I'm like, hopefully she can make some really, you know, good friendships out of this and, and have some really good formative experiences. And it's been, it's been fairly beneficial thus far. But this idea of her learning who was on her team, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Today is all about understanding who's on your team. Because I don't know if you know this, but you are on one. And if you don't know who's on your team, just take a moment and look around. God has a way of assembling teams of disciples all over the planet. It's incredible the way he does this. And this, friends, is one of them, one of these teams. So let's jump in. Go ahead, grab your Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning. We're going to drift into Luke chapter 10 as well. But the end of Luke chapter 9, if you don't have a Bible, there'll be words on the screen for you. You can follow along. But Luke chapter 9, <clears throat> uh, before we jump in to verse 57, I want to pray for us. So wherever you are at, will you just join me in pray for, praying for our time? Uh, Spirit of God, we, we need you in these moments. There really is so much power in your word. And we desire the power of your word to make its way into our minds and to migrate from our minds to our hearts so that it affects the way that we live. We don't want to just be people who hear the word. We want to be people who do the word out of love and reverence and delight in you. You're so worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd use me right now to serve my brothers and my sisters and help me not to get in the way of anything that you want to do or say or accomplish. We want to be led by you, Father. So help us, teach us, Holy Spirit. Point us to Jesus. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so let's jump in. Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 57 here. Read with me. It says this, as they, the they there is Jesus and some of his disciples, okay? As Jesus and some of his disciples were traveling on the road, someone said to him, crying out to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Bold statement, wonderful statement. I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. In verse 58, Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Pause for a second. 
So Jesus is basically like, hey, dude, just a heads up, following me, it's not comfortable or easy, and you need to be aware of that. Jesus is referencing something here about the idea of home, okay? And it's something that, if I'm honest with you, just to be transparent, it's something that's really been like a, a wrestle for me for a few years now. And it's this feeling of like, man, to follow Jesus is to join him in something. It's to join him in not being at home on earth. Like, if I'm honest with you, there, there are times, I, I, say, I would say, the majority of days, not every day, the majority of my days being alive the last several years is I've lived in this kind of dual reality of legit gratitude for the grace of God on my life, like the things I don't deserve. Like I don't deserve to be breathing right now. I don't deserve to be part of such a wonderful church family. I don't deserve, don't, don't deserve to know or love or be loved by any of you. I don't deserve so much that I could actually give myself over to be like, oh man, like I'm so privileged wow, like I'm, gra I'm grateful for that. There's that reality, right? And at the same time, being totally discontent and feeling so homesick because I don't belong here. Like spend 30 seconds scrolling through your newsfeed on whatever your preferred, you know, uh, social media or newsfeed is. Like it takes me about 30 seconds to go like, I don't belong here. This is not my home. I was made for something different. I was made for something more. I was made for heaven, and so were you. Where things are the way they're supposed to be, where things are the way that God created them to be, where we get to be in perfect fellowship with him and with each other, unbroken, untarnished by sin. Like, I don't belong here, and it frustrates me. But at the same time, I'm grateful for the grace of God in my life that I get to enjoy here. This is kind of the idea that Jesus is getting at here. He doesn't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Following him is not comfortable or easy. And a big part of that is because there's something about being homesick that just leaves you wanting. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But Jesus is giving this guy a heads up, man. Following me is not going to be easy or comfortable. Let's keep going. Verse 59. And then he, Jesus, said to another, so another guy, follow me. Lord, he said, first, everybody say first. First, let me go bury my father. But he, Jesus, told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Pause again. Some of you kind of understand what just happened here and you're like, whoa, some of you don't get it. This is like an intense statement. This is very intense, okay? It brings me to my first point for us this morning. And that is this. Following Jesus means our highest allegiance in life is to him. Following Jesus means our highest allegiance is to him, okay? This guy's response to Jesus saying, hey, follow me. His response to him seems fairly reasonable. Wouldn't you agree? He's like, yeah, first let me go bury my dad. That's not a bad thing. It's a fairly honorable thing. And in essence, what the guy says to Jesus, when Jesus says, hey, follow me, what the guy says to Jesus is, I'll follow you, but first, let me bury my father. Okay, let me read you a quote from a Bible scholar. It says this, I thought it was super insightful. Burial time, I'm sorry, burial at this time in Judaism, which these are all Jews, burial at this time in Judaism often involved a year-long period 
from the time when the body was first buried until a year later when the bones of the deceased were placed in an ossuary box. Though this was a basic family obligation, Jesus is teaching the priority of the kingdom over anything else. This does not imply that Jesus' followers can never care for their family obligations, but when they do, listen to this, it must be done out of obedience to Jesus, not instead of obedience to Jesus. In this man's case, Jesus was clearly not his highest commitment, end quote. That's pretty heavy. So Jesus says, follow me. And the man says, I will, but first. Friends, Jesus isn't against honoring your father and your mother. That's not, what we're, that's not what's happening here, okay? He clearly is. We talked about, the, we referenced the 10 commandments last week, you know? Uh, that list of 10 things for human flourishing. Number five on the list is honor your father and your mother. Jesus is passionate about people honoring their father and their mother, okay? That's not what's happening here. What Jesus is against is making excuses for not following him. Um, I referenced this a little bit last week, but here's a big example in my life. Excuses for not following Jesus, right? I spent years like not remembering and keeping the Sabbath, I spent years avoiding the Sabbath, knowing it was like God's direction on my life, knowing it would result in my soul being spiritually recharged, like, like believing that what Jesus says is true, but not necessarily true for me because I have a lot on my plate. I have a lot of things to do. There's a lot of to-do lists. There's a lot of needs in the church. There's a lot of things that need my time and attention. And if I don't give myself to all of those needs, oh my God, what would happen? So I, I, I kind of was like this guy, I'll Sabbath Jesus. I'll follow you. I will Sabbath. I'll carve out one day a week to rest in you. But first, I need to finish this never-ending list of to-dos. You get in the picture? Friends, that's not the way the kingdom works. The truth is I spent years making excuses for not actually remembering and keeping the Sabbath. And my reason for this was that my highest allegiance was not to Jesus. Guess who my highest allegiance was to? Me. Because I know what's best for me. I know what's best for the church. You know, all the what ifs start to pile up, right? Things would fall through the cracks and like I'd let people down and everything would fall apart. And basically I'm the savior of the world. It looks so good on the outside, doesn't it? But on the inside, it's like, it's gross pride. I'm the savior. I'm the one that if it's removed from the equation, everything falls apart. Every single person of you, every single one of you who knows me in this room, you're like, that's not true. <laughs> it's not cool. Because ultimately, I'm the savior of the world. The truth is, Jesus is the savior of the world. And he's the one that knows what's best for everything, guys. That includes me. And he tells us to Sabbath. And when I don't, I'm no longer following him because following Jesus means our highest allegiance is to him. You see in this. 
All right, really quick side note regarding Sabbath. I'm going to digress and then come back to today's message. I think this is super important. Um, I had some really, really good follow-up conversations uh, regarding some Sabbath stuff from last week, helpful things. And, and, so, and a handful of these conversations had to do with this idea of like, how do you balance all the things? Like, how do you balance all the things that, that you're responsible for throughout the week, right? Many of you have career jobs, right? So you, you're working Monday through Friday, nine to five, sometimes more than that. Like you're putting in a lot of hours. Many of you guys commute to work. So you're adding another two, three, four hours even on top of that. Your margin is are razor thin. Many of you uh, managing your households all week long, whether it's kids or no kids or all the things, man. Our, our schedules can be so packed. So all this stuff throughout the week and then the weekend comes. And Saturdays are already filled up seemingly like 10 years in advance. It's like, there's so many things to do. So Saturday's full with all the stuff and then Sunday comes, right? And then, and then you're probably serving your church family here and you're like, when do I have time to Sabbath, man? Great conversations, like really good questions to ask. With such little margin in life, how do we actually pull this off? Like I'm down, Tom, I see the vision for it. I see Sabbath being beneficial. How do we do this? Great questions, right? I want to reference this really, really quickly before I jump back into today because I think it's super helpful for us with where we're at as a church. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus got in a lot of trouble with religious people about how he approached the Sabbath, specifically the Pharisees. Like they got really ticked off at him about how he engaged as God in the flesh in the Sabbath, okay? And one of the things that really ticked them off is that Jesus, he would minister to people on the Sabbath, he would heal people on the Sabbath and they didn't like that. So in other words, what Jesus would do while he's keeping and observing the Sabbath is intentional service and ministry to others was a legitimate part of how Jesus engaged in the Sabbath. We can learn from that. That could teach us some things, right? So hear me, friends. I want this to be a, I want Sabbath to be the best. Like I think I read a quote that's like, Sabbath is the best day of your life. <laughs> like genuinely you feel that like every week, like oh, I just can't wait for the Sabbath. As you're working, as we as a collection of, of believers and you as an individual in your households, as you're working at finding a healthy rhythm for Sabbath, for you and your household, that's custom tailored to you guys in the season of life that you're in. I want you to be careful. Be careful not to get caught in the same trap that the Pharisees did. Sometimes the most restful thing you can do for your soul is to set yourself aside for a moment and partner with God's spirit to love and serve and minister to other people. It can be one of the most life-giving things you do all week. Why? Because when you do that, you'll encounter him. In those spaces, that's where Jesus is. That's where he's moving. That's how he's operating. You'll witness what he's up to. And hear me, you'll become more aware of his goodness. And if your agenda is to enjoy him and his goodness on your Sabbath, there you go. So here's how it looks like for me. I used to think, this is for me personally, I used to think like I cannot Sabbath on Sundays because I preach. It's intense, like I'm trying to prep, I'm trying to do all these things and I gotta get up and whether you like it or not, you have to, there's some like weird performance stuff in our culture. Like I have to get up here and convince you of these truths of the Bible. It's a twisted view of what it means to occupy the pulpit. But I think you get what I'm saying. In our culture, there's a performance idol that's just out of control, 
right? And I used to think I can't, I can't do the Saturday at sundown to Sunday at sundown, 24 hour period of Sabbath because I preach in the morning. Friends, it's just simply not true. You want to know how I know it's not true? Because Jesus did it. He modeled it for me. Because Sabbath is not about religiously avoiding physical work. It's about enjoying the goodness of God and resting in him. That's the point. It's about recharging your soul. It's about, it's about looking at what you're giving yourself to and being intentional and planning it. It's about looking at what you're giving yourself to through different lenses one day a week than the other lenses that you use the other six days. So no matter what you do or you don't do on your Sabbath, the goal is to enjoy God and his goodness, friends. So hear me, whether you're cooking a meal, whether you're taking a nap, whether you're reading a book, whether you're serving in kids' ministry or you're preaching a sermon or you're ministering, in a plethora, ministering and serving in a plethora of ways at the church on Sunday, the goal remains the same. The goal doesn't change. The goal is this, it's to stop, to cease the normal way you approach rest. I'm sorry, the normal way that you approach the rest of your week and approach the entire day, that entire 24-hour period with a singular agenda of enjoying God's goodness. It's this idea of like, I'm stopping and pausing and recognizing what is true, what is real, what is beautiful, who's the source of it. And when I do that, I'm co I come face to face with the reality of who my creator is and how much he loves me, how much he cares for me, how much he provides for me, how much he served me and continues to serve me. Think about that. God himself serves me. It's wild. So it's a joy now to, to whatever I do, I get to do that with him. It's a joy, it's on Sundays, it's a joy now to serve others on my Sabbath because God's, he's serving me even now. It's all about how you approach it. Is this making sense, guys? You with me in this? Great. It's about taking a worshipful approach to recharge your soul. All right, back to today. All right. Back to our passage. We just got done talking about how following Jesus means our highest allegiances to him. The next thing from this passage I wanna, I wanna check out is this. Jesus is looking for people to follow him. Like he's, he's looking for people to follow him. In verse 59, he literally is inviting the guy. He says, follow me. Like think about this. It's the, it's, it's the same story for every single Christian. If you're in Christ, it's because Jesus himself through a plethora of different means has said, follow me, follow me. He calls us by name, follow me, right? So he's inviting people here, but there seems to be a misunderstanding of what that means to follow him. I don't know if you caught this, okay? Jesus references the kingdom of God here. The kingdom of God. Do you know what rule number one is in the kingdom of God? Nobody? The rule number one in the kingdom of God is Jesus is king. He is the king, okay? That means he is the highest and the greatest authority. So Jesus, the king, tells this guy, follow me. And how does the guy respond? Do you remember? He says what? I will, but first, I will, but first, he responds by making excuses about why he can't. When I read this this week and I was praying through this, 
I felt so convicted, guys, because I'm about to ask you a question that the Spirit of God asked me when I was prepping this, and that is this. Are there any areas in your life where you're making excuses for not following Jesus? I don't know if you're anything like me, but like I'm really good at coming up with viable excuses. And Jesus is like, hey, let's be real. Do you know he wants your heart? Do you know he wants your heart so bad that he's willing to like open his veins for it? He's passionate about you. He's passionate about me. Are there any areas in your life where you're making excuses for not following Jesus? Maybe you're making excuses for not forgiving. I will, but first, they need to apologize. They need to get their act together. They need to take responsibility, that sinner. I will, but first. Maybe you're making excuses for not following them with your finances. This is a big one. Makes people feel really uncomfortable whenever we talk about money, but that's okay. Jesus talked about it a lot. Excuses for not following him with your finances. Listen, Tom, I have financial plans. Like I'm really responsible with my money. I steward it well. I'll follow Jesus with my finances, but first, there are some other things that I need to take care of. I mean, there's all sorts of examples. I could give you like 10 more. These are just two, these examples I just gave you, forgiveness and finances, those are just two that I had a really difficult time of when I started following Jesus. They were hard for me. The cool thing is I've seen God work in some amazing ways in my life in these two issues that I once used to struggle with. What is it for you? The areas in your life where you might be making excuses for not following Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the king. He's the king. And he calls you to obedience to him above anything else. He calls us to prioritize his kingdom, not mine, his kingdom. And when we respond, and I'm just as guilty as every single one of you, when we respond with, I will, but first, in essence, what we're saying is, this other thing is a higher priority to me. Do you see that? Let us not be deceived. Um, anybody seen Talladega Nights? That's a great transition, by the way. I just totally. Uh, it's this silly movie with Will Ferrell. It's, parts, of it's, parts of it are pretty uh, inappropriate, but there's some hilarious parts of this movie. Okay, He's like a NASCAR driver, and it's classic Will Ferrell. I think he's a genius. I think he's brilliant. Uh, but he, he has this line. He's being interviewed by like an ESPN reporter or something after a race, and he has a quote that I think is it's pretty funny. He says, if you ain't first, you're last. And it's a picture. He's a race car driver. If you ain't first, you're last. Okay? That's kind of the idea that Jesus is getting at here. It's kind of the idea that Jesus is getting here. It's the idea that second place is the equivalent to last place. Okay? If Jesus isn't first, do you know what that means? It means he isn't king. Like, think about the phrase, I will, but first it literally implies Jesus isn't first. <laughs> Are you seeing this? I hope you feel just a little bit of the conviction that I did prepping for this message because now I'm inspired to follow Jesus because he's gracious and kind. If Jesus isn't first, something else is, friends. 
And I'm not saying that to you to condemn you. I'm saying that to you to point out your need for the good news of the gospel that will free you to feel any condemnation, any shame, and to be able to walk in freedom and forgiveness to obey him again and enjoy him because he offers that every single time. Jesus is looking for people to follow him as king. All right, let's keep going. Verse 61 now in Luke chapter nine. Another one, so this is another guy. Another one said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, there it is again. Man, totally different guy. I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus uses a farmer plowing his field to illustrate something here. Okay, and here's, it's this. In the same way a farmer has a singular focus when plowing his field, right? And that singular focus is to keep that plow straight and on course no matter what. All right, so in the same way that a farmer has a singular focus when plowing his field, the follower of Jesus has a singular focus. And what is that? The kingdom of God. Singularly focused on it. Okay, and again, if, if the farmer is plowing a field and he looks away for just a moment, the plow is going to start to drift off course. And then you have a mess on your hands. If the disciple of Jesus, if their focus looks away from the kingdom of God for just a moment, they too will drift off course. You get in the picture that Jesus is painting here. Jesus is communicating something here, friends, and he's doing it in love. He's not doing it in a condemning way. Truth and love. Jesus is communicating the reality that being his disciple is not about adding him to your life, like he's an accessory, like he's an Apple Watch or something. It's not about adding him to your life, like he's an accessory. It's about lordship. Lordship. And the sad reality is there are so many people, guys, I spent seasons of my life as one of these people. There's so many people who identify as a Christian, yet they don't relate to Jesus as Lord. Luke chapter six, verse 46. This is a few chapters before what we're reading right here. Jesus says this, and I can almost like hear the pain in this statement. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? why do you call me Lord and don't do the things I say? You call me Lord with your mouth, you live as a hypocrite. Why? Friends, the Christian is a person for whom Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Two very different things, two spectacular things, two incredible things. And in, in I don't have to convince you. You're in this room. We love the Savior part, man. The Savior part is incredible. Jesus saved me. He rescued me. He rescued me from the punishment that I deserve for the ways I sin against him and sin against other people. He rescues me from, from, from death that's inevitable for me and my soul. He saves me. I'm forgiven because of Jesus. He lived the perfect life in my place that I never could. And he died the death that I deserve in my place so that I could be saved from it. He was my substitute. 
I love Jesus, my Savior. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll go where you send me, Jesus, my Savior. The Lord peace, that's, I think, in our context, in our culture, that's the tougher one. The Lord peace, that means I'm his servant. I'm a servant. I'm his servant. My life is no longer my own. Like, I was purchased with the most valuable currency in the universe, the blood of Jesus Christ. My life is no longer my own. But he's not a tyrant Lord. He's the kind of Lord who lays down his life for my freedom. He's the kind of Lord who, who at great cost to himself, saves a wretch like me. Jesus is making it clear, friends, he's not an accessory you add to your life. He's Lord. And he says that his disciples have a singular focus on the king and his kingdom. Let's keep going. We're going to continue on reading this passage. We're now going to drift into chapter eight, or I'm sorry, chapter 10 from chapter nine. It says this in verse one, after this, after what? We just read it, right? So after Jesus invites people to follow him as king and they essentially say no by saying, but first, right? After that, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent, that ahead, he sent them ahead of him in pairs, underline in pairs, to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, Tell me if this sounds familiar. The harvest is abundant. It's plentiful. But the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. All right. It says he appointed 72 others. Okay? That word there, appointed, in the original Greek, it basically it communicates this idea that Jesus gave these people an assignment. Okay, he gave them an assignment and these people said yes. In other words, he said, follow me by doing this. And they said, yes, Lord. Brings me to my next point. A disciple of Jesus is someone who says yes to Jesus. <laughs> I know that's an oversimplified definition, but it's totally accurate. We, we define discipleship here in this church as a person who's learning. That's what disciple means as learner, right? Someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. Learning. We're coming to grips with this over time. That means there's trial and error. Mistakes are made. Absolutely. You, you didn't learn how to walk in one day, right? You made mistakes and you figured it out. Same kind of thing. We're learning, right? A simplified definition of that is a, dis a disciple of Jesus is someone who says yes to Jesus. the call to follow Jesus as king, what happens in this passage? It goes out to several people, right? The call that Jesus puts out to several people is follow me. But only some say yes. I was thinking about this this week. Have you ever spent, I don't know, just like 15 minutes and just pondered how good God's been to you? Like, I don't mean like glossing over pain and suffering and brokenness, either, that, either as a result of your choices or somebody else's choices done to you. I'm not talking about brushing things under the rug. I'm talking about, in light of all that, going, holy smokes, you've been so kind to me. 
You've been so gracious to me. You've been so good to me. You've been faithful to me. You've been patient with me. You guys know how much of a mess I am. God's been so incredibly patient with me. And I was like, you know what? As I'm praying for this, I'm like, he's, he's so worthy of my yes. Good God, he's so worthy of my yes. And I think pastorally in love, I just want to ask you, like this morning, is he worthy of your yes? Is he worthy of your yes? Yes, Lord. Because you know he's good and you know he's faithful. And you know he'll never forsake you. He'll, 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 never, he'll never run out on you. Like he'll never abandon you. Is he worthy of your yes? The disciple of Jesus is someone who says yes to Jesus, okay? For the rest of my time, I have two more points. I want you to stay with me. I have two more points for you, okay? Two more big things from this passage. And these two points, they give us a very clear picture of how people enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, look back at verse one in chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, right? Those are the ones that said yes, not no. And he sent them, look at this. He sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Get the picture. Jesus is sending these disciples who say yes ahead of him to places he's about to go. My fourth point, disciples are sent ahead of where Jesus is about to go. Okay, so hear me. If you're a disciple, if you're a disciple, that means you have said yes to where Jesus has sent you. Okay, in other words, he sent you where you already are. Right? Um, will you guys throw that slide back up again? I, I think it's probably a good time to revisit it. Um, the, the diagram one, the areas of ministry one. This is it. This is your area of ministry. We talked about this in week two, I think it was. This is your area of ministry. It has your core calling, right? These are the, the core callings of your life. And again, people, you're primarily called to people. This is God. You're called primarily to him. This is your household, right? The people closest to you. Then you have your church family, right? The disciples that you're following Jesus with. And then you have your third spaces. This is like your job and the places that you frequent. This is the places where you are often at and the people that you associate with in those places. And then you have the outer ring. And we talked about, it's not that you never drift into the outer ring, but beware of the outer ring because you will overextend yourself very quickly. And then your core calling suffers and then your church family suffers and your third spaces suffer because you're being tr almost transferred into another space. I don't know if you know this, but I want you to see this picture that we see here. Jesus has sent the disciple into these spaces. So you're there already. He sent you into these spaces ahead of himself. He's right behind you, okay? Here's how it looked in my life. Three stages, okay? God legitimately sent Christians into my life. I was not the guy who was like, I really want to figure out Christianity. Jesus seems so great. Christians were sent into my life. My, my folks had a huge impact on this. Christians were sent into my life, okay? They told me about King Jesus, right? What he was like, what he, what he had done. And they told me something else. They told me about their personal encounters with him. And then do you know what happened? I then encountered him for myself. So God sent Christians into my life. 
They told me about King Jesus, what he was like, their encounters with him, and then I encountered him for myself. In my case, it didn't happen overnight. For some people, it does. For some people, it happens in an instant. For me, it took some time. But I want you to see this. My story, Jesus, he sent disciples into my life and they prepared the way for my encounter with Christ by telling me about the king and his kingdom. And it intrigued me. And then I encountered Jesus. And I've never been the same since. You hear me talk about this all the time. If a person sees Jesus for who he is clearly, they're done. Because there's no one more beautiful. There's no stronger love. When you encounter a supernatural, infinite love for you, good luck resisting it. He will have his bride. You can't. You see him clearly. You're done. It's the most beautiful, liberating, amazing thing ever. I'm fully known and fully loved. I've never been the same since. So first, the truths about Jesus invaded my head, right, through disciples, and then Jesus captured my heart. Simple. Took some time, but fairly simple and straightforward process. And here's the thing, friends. You don't have to be a pastor You don't have to be a Bible scholar to prepare the way for Jesus. You just have to share what you've witnessed him do in your own life. Super simple. That's what it means to be a witness. I don't even know if you know this. People talk about like, oh, you're a Christian witness. And it's just like what I've witnessed him do. You don't have to have all the answers. But I don't know if you know this. You are the world's leading expert on the way, on the goodness and the grace of God on your life. (laughs) No one knows it better than you. Like, If CNN or Fox News or NBC needed an expert to bring into their morning show and put you, you know, live feed satellite on the expert who who had experienced God's goodness and grace in your life, you know who they would call? They would call only one person and it's you because you're the expert. You're the world's leading expert. And here's the thing about sharing like your experience of the goodness and the grace of God. No one can argue with that. It's not a debate. You're not even trying to necessarily convince them of of anything. You're just going, dude, I've experienced this incredible love and here's how it's changing me. Disciples are sent ahead to prepare the way for others to encounter Jesus for themselves. And my final point, we see it in this passage. Disciples are sent in teams. This is the big one for this morning. Be ready with who? Your team, right? Disciples are sent in teams. And if you caught it, it says Jesus sent them off in pairs. Not alone. Not by themselves. Not experts go out there. We just need to keep training in teams. I want you to imagine something with me for just a moment. I want you to imagine me, my wife Ebony, and you. And we're going to go on an epic trip. We're going to go on an awesome trip, okay? We're going to go to the mountains. It's beautiful. The, weather's gonna, the, the weather forecast is like amazing. Not too hot, not too cold. We're not going to get rained out. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to go up to some of the most pristine and incredible alpine lakes on the planet. An alpine lake is like a high elevation lake. Just, if you want your soul to ever be at rest, go just go sit near an alpine lake. So we're going to go on this trip, just the three of us. We're going to go on this trip. We're going to go to these alpine lakes. 
And the purpose for the trip, amongst other things, is we're going to fish. Okay? So if we're going to go on this trip, I want you to imagine it. Picture it in your mind. Okay? I want you to picture one more thing in your mind. If we're going to go on this trip to fish, what's the one thing you need to have with you to go fishing? Picture it in your mind. How many of you are picturing a fishing pole? Raise your hand. Most of you. Most of you. Why didn't you think net? You thought fishing pole. Why didn't you think net? And I don't mean net with like a handle and a hole. I mean like a full-on proper fishing net. You see, fishing with a pole is very different than fishing with a net. Fishing with a pole is fishing as an individual. But fishing with a net... A net requires collaboration. A net requires a team. Look at Matthew chapter four, verses 18 and 19. As he, Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, that guy would become the apostle Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. So get the picture. Two men, how many nets? One. Two men, one net. Verse 19, follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. And there's that same invitation to discipleship again. I don't know if you call it, caught it. Follow me, right? Jesus and his kindness, follow me. Friends, discipleship to Jesus is very different than our Western kind of individualistic culture. See, Western culture is ordered around the experiencing individual self. That's fancy language for me. Okay? So hear me, friends, listen. Your relationship to Jesus is incredibly personal. Incredibly intimate and personal, yes. But your discipleship to Jesus your discipleship to Jesus is worked out with other people. It's worked out on a team. I don't know if you know this, but there isn't one example of a lone ranger, lone ranger disciple in the entire New Testament. Teams, families, households. Friends, fishing with a pole is different than fishing with a net. A net requires a team. When I was a kid, I really loved playing sports. Almost probably too much. I found too much of my identity in it. Um, but it was such a good experience for me. I excelled at it. It helped me build kind of helpful confidence, helped me fight through adversity, helped me work through struggles, helped me to develop good sportsmanship, all those things. But I, I look back on it now, and you know what I miss the most? I miss being on a team. I miss that like camaraderie, man. I miss it. Where each member of the team contributes in a meaningful way. And there's a shared mission that you work together to achieve. Throw that slide up there again, guys, the area of ministry one. There's gonna be Christians and non-Christians in every single one of these rings. We talk about our kids, we can't assume that all of our children have the spirit of God on them yet. God willing, every single one of them will. When it comes to making disciples of not yet Christians specifically, friends, the church is a lot like a team. 
different members with diverse giftings working together to fish for people. Everyone on the team matters. Everyone on the team contributes in a meaningful way. So when we talk about this idea of like evangelism, right? Of fishing for people. It's so much more effective when you use a net. So much more effective when you use a net. And a net requires a team of people working together with intentionality because fishing with the pole is different than fishing with a net. In our culture, I don't know if you noticed it, our culture has conditioned us to live individualistic lives. That's why every single one of you is like, fishing pole. Me. That's the biggest point I want to make today, guys. Disciples of Jesus are sent into the harvest in teams. We work together to share the good news of the king and his kingdom. And in doing so, we prepare the way for them to encounter Jesus for themselves, just like we did. All right. I want to call the band up. I'll close with this. If you're on the ministry team, maybe you can make yourself present in the back. Um, a couple more minutes and then I'm done. I'll get out of the way. And we'll respond to the goodness of God. Look back at verse two with me really, really quickly. Verse two in chapter 10 of Luke. He told them the, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is abundant, it's plentiful, but the workers are few. Okay? Now, the 72 people that said yes, the 72 people he sent is not enough workers for the size of the harvest. Do you get in the picture? The harvest is so plentiful that that 72, it's not enough workers. Or to use the fish metaphor, there's more fish out there than there are fishermen and fisherwomen to catch them all. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Here's the question for us this morning. Why? Why is that the case? Why does Jesus bring that to our attention? Why aren't there enough workers? I'd like to propose to you it's because I will, but first, I will, but first, listen, Jesus doesn't force it. <laughs> it's not like he's like grabs you by the scruff of your neck, get out there and go into the harvest. That's not that's not the kind of king he is. You better get out there, I'm gonna... That's not how he operates. You wanna know how he operates? When we respond with, I will, but first, he says, okay, your will be done. And the harvest is plentiful and the workers are still few. He doesn't force us, force it, guys. He, listen, there are many people who respect Jesus. You might be one of them. So many people who respect Jesus, who admire Jesus, people who call him Lord with their mouth. But when he says, follow me, 
they say, but first, not yes, Lord. I've been thinking about this. How much of God's kingdom might you and I be missing out on because instead of saying yes, we're saying, but first. How much of God's kingdom might we be missing out on? Like I'm talking spectacular stuff. Stuff that would cause the world to go like, what in, what's happening in Temecula, California? Like people who are like, pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine love each other. Like passionately, with intentionality. Different people. People experiencing the renewal of relationships, the healing of hearts, the healing of bodies supernaturally. How much of the kingdom of God might we be missing out on because of our, but first, So dream with me for just a second. I'm gonna turn things over to the band, but I just, I don't wanna move yet. Dream with me for just a second. I'm, I'm homesick, friends. I'm homesick for my true kingdom. I'm homesick for heaven. I don't, I'm over the brokenness. I long for the way that things were meant to be. So dream with me. What do you think would happen if your gospel community, 20 adults and their kids, if just your gospel community got together for a Lord's Supper and you prayed, simply, you prayed, Jesus, like who in our lives, in our area of ministry, who in our lives are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing, Jesus? Who might you send us out ahead of yourself to, to share the good news of the King and his kingdom? You know what, I bet what happened, I bet he'd speak. I bet he'd tell you. I bet he'd confirm it in your community. I bet he would send you out ahead of himself. And you might be tempted to respond with something like, yeah, yeah, but first I... But what if instead of but first, we responded with yes, Lord? What if we didn't delay? Like what if we didn't make excuses? Friends, the harvest is abundant. It's plentiful. And Jesus is willing. He's on the move. And he's looking to send disciples ahead of him to prepare the way by sharing the good news of the king and his kingdom. Be ready. Be ready, man. Like, will we be like the 72 disciples who said yes? Yes, Lord. Will we be like the two dudes in this story who said, yeah, but first there are these other more important things. Will we be ready, man? The harvest is plentiful. Let me pray for us. hears the word. We want to be doers. Not out of religious duty, but out of grateful delight. 
I love that you modeled this, Jesus. I love that it was a team effort between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that captured my heart and every heart in this room. So my prayer is simple. Would you give us your perspective? Would you help us to zoom out in our life for just a moment? Would you help us to kind of set me aside for just a moment? I know our culture is so loud. I know it, is so for, it has so formed us into the image of someone that doesn't look a lot like Jesus. But Jesus, your culture is different. The culture of heaven is different. And heaven has invaded my life. It's invaded our lives. And we ask for more of it to give us perspective. Yours for ourselves and for the world around us. Help us to drink deeply of your grace and forgiveness this morning. There's no condemnation for anyone in Christ Jesus. There's just invitation over and over again. Follow me. Follow me. I'll show you how to truly be human. Follow me. I'll show you how despite the the brokenness and the suffering and the reality of the way the earth is now, follow me and you'll witness, you'll witness the ushering in of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We want to participate, Jesus. We want to participate. We don't want to miss out. Help us to be ready. Help us to work together as a team. Help us to obey you and enjoy you and operate like you, Jesus. Help us to be ready. We love you. All right, friends, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. Um, For the next 15 to 20 minutes, what we're going to do is we're just going to spend time responding to God. Uh, This is a time for all of us, you as an individual, us as a church, to press into him. There's, There's a plethora of ways that you can do this now. This is the most important time of the gathering. The, 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 all my talking, all of it, it serves the purpose of you and him being together in this moment. I don't do this, I don't preach so that you like like me more or think I know the Bible or impress you. I preach for this moment right now. This is the most important time of the entire gathering. You responding to God's grace and love and mercy and saying yes, Lord, to what he invites you into. This is your chance to do that. The band's gonna lead us and minister to us, give us an opportunity to praise him with our mind, with our body, with our soul, with our mouths, with our lips, with our hands, with everything, everything that we are. Um, There are men and women, trustworthy men and women scattered around the back of the room that have lanyards that are available to pray. If If you want prayer or need prayer in any way, which every single person in this room needs prayer, I don't know if you know that, uh, that the mature people are the ones that are like, I need help. The immature ones are the ones like, I'm in pride, I'm cool. I don't wanna look weird in front of people, so I don't need Jesus. Listen, all of this is for you to enjoy and respond to his goodness. Band, prayer, you and him alone, praising him. Enjoy him for the next little bit, and then JB's gonna come up and close us and pastor us, okay? I love you guys very much. Enjoy him. spent some time really pondering and considering like what what keeps me from giving my highest allegiance to King Jesus and there's a couple things that stood out that I want to share with you guys because I have a feeling that they're going to resonate 
hopefully, they'll resonate with uh, some of you in the room. The first thing that keeps me from giving my full allegiance to King Jesus is that there is this love void, for lack of a better term, in my own soul, where I won't be delighting in his love and actually experiencing it. And it got me thinking, so we, message like this, it's a, we're not in the book of Luke as a, as a church right now, but if we were, we would have read this before. And I think this is a fascinating story. You might be familiar with it, but there's a story about how Jesus is reclining at a table with Pharisees, with some of the religious leaders. And then a woman comes in, someone who is clearly an outsider. And she comes, and if you know the story, she comes weeping and she starts to wash Jesus's feet with her tears. And she wipes his feet with her hair and kisses them and anoints them with oil. And the Pharisee stands there and he just thinks, if, if only Jesus knew who this person actually was. And then Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, teacher, say it. And he tells this story. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, a lot of money, and the other owed 50. Still a lot of money, but not nearly as much. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Turning to the woman, he said, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she couldn't stop kissing my feet since I came in. And on and on he goes, sharing this is how this woman's love manifested. Her, her obedience showed up. And he says this, Her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. What's my point? If we aren't experiencing our, our forgiveness and how loved we are and how undeserving that is, how undeserving we are, we're probably not going to be all that excited about Jesus. We're probably not going to actually want to obey him in a costly way because we haven't realized, we haven't like woken up to the reality that we have been given way better than we deserve. And I'm realizing this for myself, when I'm not delighting in his love, I'm not going to want to give him my allegiance, not nearly as easily, but there's going to be a limit. I hit the cap, I hit the ceiling, and that's as far as I'm willing to go for him. But if I remember that he's loved me despite me, then there's nothing that's off limits for him. So that's the first thing. Do you know how loved you are? Do you have a sense of delight in his love for you this morning? I want to propose to you that if, if it's not if, it, if his love is not filling your soul, you may find that you hit the ceiling too on your obedience. It's the first thing. The second thing, I'll keep this brief, is insecurity. Insecurity is a big one. So we're talking about working as a team. What happens when you're on a team with people? You tend to like figure out where you're at on the depth chart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. So let me explain it to you from my life. I tend to walk into a room and size it up. Where do I fit in? And depending on the room, I can either feel really good about myself sometimes or sometimes I can feel really bad about myself. I'm not like this person. Is this, is this helping anybody? <laughs> okay. That is called insecurity. And it comes from a deep-rooted sense of God is holding out on me. It took me, I don't know, a decade to figure this out. 
that I just feel like God is stingy. And I'm not going to want to work in partnership with people that I feel inferior to. I'm going to shy away. I'm going to be like a spider that crawls into a corner. And I'm, I'm out for all intents and purposes. I may be in the room, but I'm not really in the room. Here's the beautiful reality of this. And I'm just bear with me for a minute. I know this is a long closing, but I just feel like this is important. We need to remember how loved we are and we need to be secure in the fact that God has given each of us unique gifts and callings and things and people that he has uniquely crafted you to meet and love and minister to, even if it doesn't look exactly like so-and-so because so-and-so has a, his own calling or her own calling. But if we're insecure, it's going to throw this whole thing off. So we need to be loved, we need to be secure, and I think there's one more thing. I'm gonna call Sarah up real quick. She got a picture that I think is for our community. That I think fills out this picture of the kind of person who will actually give their allegiance to King Jesus. And before she steps up, this is a, this is a picture of obedience. This is a picture of following Jesus. She, she got a picture, she got a word, she felt like something that God put on her heart was potentially for the church and she brought it to me. So I just wanna honor you publicly. Well done. Um, when I was, when Tom was praying, I got a picture of um, a riverbank. Um, and crossing the riverbank was a stone bridge. And when you think about a bridge, you think of something that you hope is structurally sound. Um, and then I got a picture of another bridge. And it was one of those like sketchy rope bridges with like, the planks, you know? And there's two ways to cross the river. One is to go over this super strong stone bridge, like make your way, and the other is to cross this sketchy uh, plank bridge. And I feel like the Lord was saying that when you decide to become part of the team, like you're the stone bridge, like you're a part of the bridge, you are a stone. Um, it gives people like a safe place to cross over into like the love of Jesus. Um, but when we pull back, like when you were talking and we pull back and we're like, nope, I'm good. Like we are the sketchy ladder bridge. Like it's not as safe of a place for people to cross over. Um, and so I feel like if you're like wondering like, what is my place in all this? What is my place in the team? Like you are a stone, like you are a living stone. Like you, you have a place, like you are going to usher people in into like a relationship with Jesus. Like, so don't think like that you have to be one of the planks like on your own, like you are invited, you are welcomed to be a part of like the bridge, like you're bridging people like into God's love. So anyways, that was my picture. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. How will we become the kind of people who give our ultimate allegiance to King Jesus? We need to be a people who know that we're loved, who are secure in our callings and our giftings, and who are united. Stones, living stones together. Loved, secure, united. Which of these do you feel like you want to grow in? Or which one of these is God highlighting for you personally? And I just encourage you, as you think about that, you may need today to go get prayer. There's prayer ministers in the back, very safe people, including my wife, 
back there who love, love this community, who hear from the Lord, and who are ready to minister to you. They showed up early to pray. Don't miss out. If this is resonating with you, go get prayer. And the other thing that I want to encourage you to do, and this might be the next step for you, it might be to actually bring this to your gospel community. If you're realizing, I'm not really delighting in his love, or I'm dealing with deep insecurity over my place and my role, or I'm realizing I'm not, I'm kind of doing my own thing. It might be time to take that to your gospel community, to bring that out into the light, and to receive mercy and grace, and to be strengthened and healed in that area. So that together that we can become a people who give our ultimate allegiance to Jesus and see the kingdom of God come on earth in Temecula and beyond as it is in heaven. I'm gonna pray and we'll close up. Thank you, Father, for this morning. I thank you that King Jesus is a forgiving king who sits on a throne of grace, who beckons us, who calls us to himself. And the worst thing that could ever happen is that he calls us and we say, yeah, but first this. And he says, okay. It's a tragedy. But I know there's things that get in the way. And I know that we all experience weaknesses in different ways. We pray that you would strengthen us together. You would remind us that we are loved, that we are secure in our gifts and calling, and that we are a united people in this world to see your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, would you deposit something in us this morning? May this be a building block morning for our community. And would you help us individually to hear your voice and to determine what is the next step that you're calling me to, Jesus? What is the next step of obedience you have for me? And would we have the courage and the faith to actually take that step? We love you and we thank you. Jesus, sons, and we pray. Amen. Okay, we are done. If you want to go get prayer, there's still people in the back available. If not, Please go grab your kids and we love you. See you soon.